listening to The Extraordinary Catholic, co-sponsored by the Catholic Education Foundation and the Station of the Cross out of Buffalo, New York. Today we are privileged to welcome to the program an extraordinary Catholic, Brian St. Paul. Brian is the editor of Crisis Magazine and InsideCatholic.com. Once a printed periodical, the now online magazine claims to be a voice for authentic Catholicism in the public square. Encouraging difference and debate among their many writers, columnists, and bloggers, all of the bloggers and columnists, and most of its feature writers, are faithful Catholics, the magazine's direction is largely led by Brian. Welcome, Brian St. Paul. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. We are very, indeed, privileged to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be with you as well. Tell us about, for those who don't know intimately, what the mission of Crisis Magazine Inside, Inside Catholic is, uh, how'd you get started, and how you doing? Well, we, Crisis Magazine itself actually started 25 years ago. It was founded by Michael Novak and Ralph McInerney, and they founded it in response to the, uh, the bishop's letters from the early 80s about nuclear war, about uh, poverty and that, and they felt that the, the bishop's prescriptions were unnecessarily partisan. In other words, they were always kind of the, the uh, standard uh, Democratic Party line. And so they wanted to create a publication that, that uh, offered the conservative response to that. Now, over the years, the uh, Crisis Magazine morphed and, and developed. And now, of course, we've moved entirely online, and we've become InsideCatholic.com, and we have actually broadened uh, our our focus. And so what we're trying to do with InsideCatholic.com is provide a kind of marketplace of ideas for faithful Catholics. So uh, all of the positions uh, enunciated and defended on the website are allowable to faithful Catholics. These are, these are things that you know, we, we can disagree about, we can argue about, but in the end we're all you know, Catholic brothers and sisters. And so instead of approaching it from a partisan angle, we wanted to approach it from an angle of, of allowing charitable debate, discussion, and uh, we honestly believe that if, if given uh, that kind of thing, that kind of conversation, that the truth will win out. And so uh, things, have, things have gone well so far, and it's been well received. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm interested in two aspects of what you said. One is how successful was the original uh, crisis in uh, accomplishing its objective of mm-hmm. uh, giving an alternative to what, uh, the de- what you call the uh, democratic uh, platform yes actually it was uh, uh, quite, quite successful in fact uh, a lot of people actually credit uh, crisis credit or blame crisis uh, for the 2000 and 2004 uh, victories by President Bush uh, uh, the former editor of crisis the former I'm sorry the former publisher of crisis Deal Hudson was at that time the head of Catholic outreach uh, for the White House and for the uh, for uh, Governor Bush at the time in, in the late 90s and then in the 2000 election. So actually, crisis was, was quite influential. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't happy about the, uh, the influence they had with the, with the election, and some of us have our own regrets, but uh-huh. uh, there it is. I mean, it, it was successful. It was influential, and I think that that same uh, influence, maybe less ideological influence, has been carried over into the website. Now, how, how did the bishops react to crises' initial success? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. 
it really depends on the bishop. Uh, uh, some bishops have always supported us, have always been very, uh, uh, very friendly towards us. Uh, of course, uh, Bishop Chaput uh, in Denver has been wonderful. Uh, Myers, I mean, we've, we've had close relationships with a number of bishops that, that continue today. Um, other bishops were, were, of course, more critical. Um, any bishop who at the time uh, would have found himself on the left uh, it was, was clearly quite critical of, of not only what crisis was doing, but the influence and the weight that it began to kind of swing around. And so uh, it, it was a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag, but I'm happy to say that the, uh, the response, I'd say, over the last three or four years has been more positive. Uh, now, some of that's the, the development of the, the magazine and website, and some of that's the changing of the guard among the bishops in the United States. So a little, little combination of both, I think. And I would imagine the broad, broadening of the mission of the magazine to present all views that are acceptable to Catholicism. Right, exactly. Because I think, the, the, you know, the bishops, no matter where they fall politically or socially, we recognize, all Catholics recognize that, that there's a need for this. You know, we, we don't have a place where we can come together and really discuss these things. I mean, one of the things that you see frequently in not just Catholic websites, but Catholic publications and things like that and television programs is they tend to, to, to speak to one demographic of faithful Catholic. And so the more traditional Catholics... Uh, are, are all strongly pro-life, but they don't tend to get involved in other social justice issues, whereas uh, the Catholic progressives or progressive Catholics tend to downplay maybe the pro-life stuff, even though they're, they're anti-abortion and they focus on other things like immigration and poverty issues. And so there needs to be a place where we all come together and discuss these things because, of course, a full Catholic will have some of, some of both, you know, a little, little bit of both. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide that, that forum for people to complete their, their Catholicism, I guess what I'd say. I, I'm interested in how you distinguish the work of Crisis versus uh, a Newhouse's fir, uh, First Things. Uh, do hmm, good question. Uh, Father Newhouse's First Things, uh, which is a, a fabulous journal, there are a couple differences. We, we were frequently compared to, uh, to First Things when, uh, when Crisis was a print magazine. Um, I always disagreed with the, the comparison uh, First Things is an academic journal. Uh, Crisis was a popular-level magazine. Also, First Things was uh, actually a, uh, an ecumenical journal, so it was not specifically Catholic, although obviously uh, Father, uh, Father uh, Newhouse and a number of the staff are Catholic, and it's a very Catholic-friendly magazine, or uh, journal, rather. Uh, so Crisis was a popular-level Catholic uh, magazine that focused on issues in the world through uh, the, the lens of the Catholic faith. And so it was a little bit different, also, the, uh, the politics were different. Uh, first things tends to be neoconservative, and I, I don't mean that as a criticism. I think that's a, a, fair, a fair description. Now, Crisis Magazine was also considered neoconservative, but I don't think that was a proper label, uh, even when Deal Hudson was, was uh, running it. Uh, Deal was, was quite skeptical of uh, Israel and our support of Israel and, and the treatment of Palestinians, which is, of course, uh, not something you find among neoconservatives at all. So I, I don't know that uh, we were neoconservative, whereas I, I do think that, that First Things is and continues to be to a degree. Okay. Now, how, how do you, I'm not even sure I know how to de define a neoconservative or a neocon, but mm -hmm. how would you attribute the neocon to Catholicism? How would, how would that manifest itself? Well, that's a, I mean, that's a really good question. I think the, that's part of the debate now. I, 
I, w- I see some problems with neoconservatism and the way that it fits in with Catholicism. Uh, part of the problem is, as you, as you point out, Joe, is that there is no stable definition of neoconservatism. I mean, it, it tends to be uh, a position that is very pro-Israel, that uh, uh, believes in uh, using government to, uh, not necessarily shrinking government, but using government more efficiently, and then they couple that also with the use of, uh, of the uh, U.S. military to create democracies around the world. So it's, it's very much a uh, kind of a Wilsonian uh, project as, as regards foreign policy for you know, uh, planting uh, democracies throughout the world. So that's how I would uh, define it or describe neoconservatism. My concerns as that regards uh, Catholicism is in uh, a number of areas. One, primarily, the, of course, the use of the military. Uh, that's a, a touchy thing with, with uh, the Catholic just war teaching. Uh, number two, the issue of, uh, insofar as neoconservatives don't necessarily want to shrink the size of uh, the state, I think that's a problem with Catholic social teaching because, of course, we have uh, principles like subsidiarity, where the, the lowest or the, the function uh, of, a, of a government should be done at the lowest level, the, the level you know, most approaching the local community, mm-hmm. which doesn't work with, uh, with uh, big government, either uh, Republican big, big government or Democratic big government. So. I think that's another problem with uh, at least the, the neoconservatives who do not endorse uh, you know, shrinking the government. So there are a couple issues. I, I think that the debate is going on right now. I think it will continue after the next election uh, as people begin to reflect on uh, President Bush's uh, term. And so it's an uh, interesting debate to have. Uh, extraordinarily interesting. I had some, a priest friend of mine, or a priest um, that married me about 30 years ago that I hadn't seen in a long time. You know, I visited him, and he called me a neocon, but he really wanted to get uh, under the skin of what makes us de- uh, neocons really tick. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I didn't even know what I was, but <laughs> but he he tried to get. If at the me. term gets thrown around, you know, it, it's it's hard to pin down. It's hard to pin down. I know it really is. Now, who are um, what's the process uh, for selecting articles? Uh, selecting topics and selecting authors, and and how does blogging get into this whole thing? Uh, we we get story ideas from a number of sources. I mean, obviously the the staff, the editorial staff, we have our own interests, and we're we're always coming up with ideas. But uh, we also work with a stable of writers who are all faithful Catholics, but they come from a variety of perspectives. So we have someone like a, a Jeff Tucker from the Von Mises Institute or the Von Mises Institute, who's a kind of an anarcho-capitalist. And then we have uh, Eric Pavlet, who's one of our bloggers, who's a pro-life Democrat. Then, of course, we have Deal Hudson, who's uh, one of our bloggers and columnists, and he's a, uh, a, a pretty fervent Republican. So we've got, you know, we've got a, a, a pretty good range of people. We're about to add a um, kind of a pseudo-socialist as well. <laughs> so we get ideas from those individuals because they, they are out there and they're covering their own beats. You know, they have their own uh, agendas, their own interests, and so they can bring that to the table in suggesting stories. And then finally, one of the things that we do on staff among uh, the writers, the bloggers, uh, is that we're always on the, uh, on the uh, Internet. We're always looking at blogs. We're reading articles. And we're looking at the things that people are debating and people are disagreeing over. And when you find something that someone disagrees over, there's a great topic for an article. And so that's, that gives us a lot of ideas as well. So it's, the article topics come pouring in from our writers and, uh, and also from what we find through our own research and interests. In case you have just joined us, this is The Extraordinary Catholic. We are talking with Brian St. Paul, editor of Crisis Magazine and InsideCatholic.com. What do you see uh, 
as the hot Catholic topics in the upcoming election? Mm. Well, I think, of course, the war. The war will be big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how, uh, w- what role abortion will play. And I say that for this reason. I'm, I'm presuming that Obama will be the Democratic nominee, and I think, you know, bar- barring something really unusual, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty close to a done deal. Uh, Obama has, a, has a, a radical record on abortion. However, uh, John McCain, while he has, uh, I guess just by the score of it, he has a 100% pro-life uh, record, he nevertheless does support limited testing on, uh, on uh, stem cells, embryonic stem cells, uh-huh. uh, as well as, uh, uh, in, in addition to that, he's not, you know, he's not exactly a, uh, a pro-life firebrand. Right. So I don't know that the issue, the abortion issue, will be a big matter for debate among the campaigns, although I do think the Catholics themselves will bring it up, and other pro-life Christians, of course. But I think, you know, I think the war is the big one, and I just, I think that a lot of the other things are just simply areas where Catholics and the general population will agree. The economy, you know, what, what, what should be done there? Is it government intervention, or is the problem government intervention? That's a legitimate debate. And so I think that the Catholics, you know, we're not a monolithic group, so Catholics share the same concerns that other Americans share. But I think we can add the pro-life issue, and then particularly the war, because of the uh, the way I guess that it has gone, uh, and the the fairly clear uh, concerns from Rome about the war, both in the build-up and then in the execution of it. Do you think there's a Catholic vote anymore? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Here's a here's an area where Deal and I disagree to a point. Uh, there is a faithful Catholic vote. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. There was a faithful Catholic vote, I think, that you could find in the numbers. The people who went to Mass weekly tended to vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that that will be true this cycle, because John McCain, I don't think, uh, instills enough interest in Catholics. Uh, the war has gone badly, uh, and I think uh, some Catholics will just be, will be attracted to Obama just for the change, just for, you know, apart from the positions, just for something new. So I don't know. I, I, my guess is that the Catholic vote will not, uh, will not be determinative this cycle. I, I don't think it will be. Well, that's interesting because Obama, who I've been watching closely, um, has said some pretty provocative things. Yes. Um, you know, the, the thing I heard most recently was he made a comment about um, him wanting to bring up his children with good cultural values, but if they made a mistake, he would not want them to be uh, punished with a baby. Right. Uh, it's pretty provocative. And how... Oh, yes. And how, you know, how on earth can a, any Catholic subscribe to that? And what kind of dialogue or debate in your magazine or on your website uh, will you participate in in highlighting things like that that don't necessarily get good coverage with in the mass media to give the right. Catholic. I actually wrote about that. <laughs> oh, did in fact, you? I, I did a little bit on that. I, I found a, a very funny political cartoon that I posted on the blog uh, on that that very quote. Um, you know, that, that's that's what we do. We we cover issues that are important to our readership uh, that are ignored by the mainstream press, and obviously that that's a, a, a fairly shocking statement. It, 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 it's a revealing statement because it shows you how he looks at, uh, how he, he views a child. Uh, of course, the mainstream media didn't care primarily because they share that view. So it was nothing 
uh, extraordinary or unusual for them to hear that. Uh, so that one of the things we do is just in, in, just in reporting it, uh, we're, we're separating ourselves from the mainstream media, and we're, we're calling attention to the fact that uh, there's another way to look at these things. And so that's, that's primarily how we'll do it. Uh, the, the, because this, this election cycle is so unusual, uh, we are having a good number of uh, Obama supporters who are Catholics and who, who profess to be pro-life as well, uh, who are coming to the site and commenting and, and uh, giving the reasons why uh, they're supporting Obama. And I'm, I'm finding that very interesting, although obviously I, I disagree. Yeah, how, how do, I'm interested in how do they react when they come to defend him uh, to that quotation? That, I, I think, well, their, their reaction is kind of the same as the, the Obama campaign, and that's simply that, that uh, it was a, an offhand comment. He misspoke. Um, his point was that the, the, uh, the life of a, of a young mother is a difficult one, and so he would want to pre- you know, prevent his children from, uh, from going through that. So I, that's what they would do. I, the, the statement itself is, was pretty shocking. I, I, I don't go too far with it because he has distanced himself from that. So, you know, since he, given that, I, I, don't, I don't take it too far. And I, I think that uh, there, there are many things on, in his record that uh, will be better, you know, fodder for, for debate and critique. Okay, well, you're a lot nicer person than I am, so. <laughs> <laughs> Southerners. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, your work is very interesting. How did you get involved, Brian? I, uh, that's a, a, actually a really good question. I was... Um, I was the associate director of a health institute here in Baltimore, uh, an international health institute, uh, and one of my one of my functions was uh, uh, rating medical studies, evaluating them, what you know if a study was structured well, if it was statistically significant, etc. Uh, and it did a number of that, uh, a lot of that kind of research, which had absolutely nothing to do with with Catholicism. But I had a, uh, a bachelor's in philosophy and a master's in theology, and I had done some uh, missionary work, some apologetics work. I'd worked for Envoy Magazine. I'd worked for um, the Legionaries of Christ at one point. I was a door-to-door evangelist. And so I had that all in my background. Oh, and I taught uh, at a Catholic high school. I had that in my background. And so when I was at the Health Institute, uh, my, uh, my now wife uh, was working at Crisis, and the position of editor, editor uh, came open. And so she, she mentioned me to Deal, and Deal asked me to come down. And I went to his house and met him, and he offered me the job right there. So yeah. I decided to jump in. My... My interest was uh, that crisis, although I was not myself a, um, a, uh, a staunch Republican, I'm actually a libertarian, but my interest in crisis was that uh, it, it, it spanned, it, it bridged the gap between a Catholic publication and a secular publication, and that's where I think we need to be. Uh, there is a place for exclusively Catholic publications to build up the body of Christ, and no question about that, but I think there's also a, a, a large and largely unfilled role uh, uh, of, of kind of a bridge publication, the magazines that cover Catholic issues, but they also cover secular matters. And there are articles in there that would be interesting to uh, secular readers as well. And so what that tended to do was it would bring uh, secular readers who would want to read about uh, some political matter or some aspect of junk science, and they would also see the other articles, the more evangelical articles. And so we would be not only informing, building up the body of Christ, but we would also be evangelizing the non-Catholics who are coming to the, uh, the magazine. And so we follow that, that, same, uh, that same dynamic in the website as well. What would be an example of uh, what you'd consider a secular article? Uh, or an article that would have interest to secular readers. We did a, a very good piece on global warming. 
uh, we did a wonderful piece on, now that, that piece was, uh, was quite skeptical of global warming. Um, we did another piece looking at the question of AIDS and condoms in Africa. Now, obviously, this has a, a huge Catholic component because, of course, you know, the Catholic Church is constantly being hammered for, uh, for uh, uh, you know, prohibiting uh, African Catholics from using uh, prophylactics. But we actually did a story that looked at just the, the question of the effectiveness of condoms in stemming AIDS in Africa and, in fact, found that, uh, that uh, they actually have made the problem worse and that the nation, uh, a nation like Uganda, which institutes a policy of chastity mm. and uh, monogamy primarily, uh, they see their AIDS rates plummet. And so that was an interesting article, and that got a lot of attention from non-Catholics as well. So there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of subjects out there. There are a lot of stories and, and, uh, and uh, matters that can be discussed that would be of interest to a wide range of people. And so we're, we, we look for those kinds of things in addition to the Catholic-specific articles that we run. In case you have just joined us, this is The Extraordinary Catholic. We are talking with Brian St. Paul, editor of Crisis Magazine and InsideCatholic.com. Do you do any uh, muckraking in terms of that type of journalism uh, where you expose uh, issues that have not been exposed? Yes, yes. I mean, we, 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 I mean muck, obviously muckraking is, has taken on a, 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 a negative uh, tone, uh, right. Where it wasn't necessarily the case, you know, originally, of course. Right. Uh, and so, in, yeah, in the classic style of muckraking, we do that. We do that. You know, we, we bring up the things that some people would rather not, uh, rather not have seen. Uh, we don't. We, we try not to get personal. We that's not. You know, right. personal uh, things or matters are off limits for us. But uh, you know, insofar as it touches on public policy or, or happens in the public square, that's perfectly legitimate. Or even and so, uh, you know, we, we do no favors to anyone by ignoring those things. So we don't. We call attention to. Oh, can you give me an example of, of some expose that you did? Yes, actually. The, uh, we ran an article called The High Price of Priestly Pedophilia uh, six months before the Boston, uh, the Boston Globe broke that story. And so we talked about John Gogan. We talked about a lot of the things that Boston covered. Wow. And now, uh, let me be very clear. Boston, the, the Boston Globe did a, a, a tremendous job on their research. So they, they in no way piggybacked on us. I'm not, I'm not claiming that at all. Right. Uh, but the fact is we were, we were on that story six months before that broke, and we got hammered for it. I mean, we had people canceling the magazine. Um, we were attacked by other Catholic publications because we are daring to, to bring up this dirty little secret. And I think that's something that uh, Catholic World Report uh, faced as well. They, they did something in the mid-90s on that. And I think they got hammered as well. So you know, that's, that's an example. And, of course, six Great months example. later, the big Boston Globe story uh, broke, and, and, and we were vindicated. Great. But uh, it, was, it was pretty hairy. Up. <laughs> I bet. It was pretty hairy up until then, I can tell you that. Great example. Now, in, yeah. your, in your research on it, I have sort of a, uh, an axe to grind with, on that issue uh, mm -hmm. because it's, it, it's presented in the popular press as pedophilia. And right. I, and I think... The lion's share of it was actually homosexuality. Precisely. Without yeah, in fact, it was, I mean, the, the technical term is a febophilia, and it was, it was a, a abuse of, you know, post-pubescent teenagers, which right. is terrible. Obviously, we're not claiming anything. It was aw that's awful, but it is not pedophilia. You're right. It's, it's, it is, it's a, a form of homosexuality. It's homosexual uh, uh, intercourse with teenagers, so right. agreed. Right. I, and I, I was referencing, that's a great example. I, I just got uh, my issue of uh, Father Fessio's um, magazine, The Reporter. Yes, yes. 
and uh, they did an expose on uh, the uh, silence of CRS in terms of uh, their position on the use of condoms uh, in oh, fighting AIDS, and and that actually was a cover story. Oh, good. So uh, that would be an example of what I'd call a muckracking. Oh yes, types. yes, in, but in, in the positive in sense. Positive in the positive way. sense. Exactly. And Capital reports very good with that. And yes. again, that, I mean that is a compliment. Yes. Now, um, for those who don't, I want to get a little more into your background, but for those who don't know a lot about your boss, Deal Hudson, can you <laughs> describe him? Yeah, Deal, uh, what is he? He was a philosophy professor. He is a, uh, a Texan, which comes out in everything he does uh, and says if you talk to him. Um, his particular interest, he, he's, he's uh, very much a Republican, but he is what he, he, he his Republicanism, uh, he argues, comes out of his Thomism. Okay. And so I think that all of his opinions emerge from some, uh, some interpretation of St. Thomas. Uh, he, he's a, a, a great devotee of, uh, of literature, um, show tunes. I remember the first time I met him. Uh, when, when I was invited to, to uh, talk about the open position, we met in his basement. He was smoking a cigar, hmm. and I was not uh, in any way a smoker at that time, but he had a, gave me a cigar, and I was trying to impress him, of course, uh, <laughs> because this was Deal Hudson. And so right. I had uh, unwrapped it, and I, I cut the cigar, and I lit it and was smoking it, and, and he kind of leaned back and said, Brian, I, I need to tell you something. And I said, well, sure, Deal. What, uh, what, what, what do you need to tell me? He goes, well, Brian, you're smoking the wrong end. <laughs> <laughs> My first meeting with Deal Hudson, but he he overlooked that and hired me, and uh, and we uh, have have gotten along quite well since then. So, uh, you know, that's that's Deal Hudson. He's he's uh, he's got his imperfections. Heaven knows he uh, he does not hide that. Right. But uh, he's a good man. He's a good guy. That's good. Now, Saint Augustine plays a role in your life, or played a role in life. Oh, very much so. Can you describe? Yes, that? he Saint Augustine is my. Uh, uh, if, I, if I could call it my life saint, I like the um, the way that Father Benedict Rochelle approaches Saint Augustine. He he considers him the same. His he is his lifetime spiritual teacher, and uh, if I recall, I think he, he even refers to him as Father Augustine, which is a, a habit that I've taken up myself. I think for me, of course, just on the points, Saint Augustine is it was the most influential mind in the history of Christianity, you know, outside of of the Scriptures, uh, and I think that's kind of beyond debate, but for my, uh, for, for my stars, what I like about Augustine is that he brought such passion to his intellectual, uh, his intellectual work, and when you read the Confessions, I mean, that's, that not only was that the first example of that form of literature in Western history, the Confession, you know, the, the literary Confession, yeah. but it, it's a masterpiece that holds up today. I mean, I... I I remember the first time I read it, I was a philosophy student, and I was not spiritually minded. And uh, for me, I, I just I thought, oh, my heavens, he's, he's praying again. You know, we'll skip over the prayers, and let's get to the philosophy. And uh, that, was the, that was my experience the first time. The second time, it was an entirely different thing. I, I was more mature, and it just, it just tore me open. The, 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 the passion, the anguish with which he writes, the regret, but this new discovery. And so... For me, it opened up an entirely new uh, part of my spiritual life. It, 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 it you know, gave me a chance to, to uh, see my return to the Catholic Church in a new way. Mm. Um, because, of course, Augustine, uh, he, he was not a, uh, a revert, but, uh, of course, his mother was a Catholic. And, and so 
insofar as that was true uh, when he became Catholic, it wasn't it wasn't simply a cold conversion, but it was a kind of a return to a Catholic family. So uh, Augustine was was profoundly influential on me, and, and continues to be so. In fact, I have a, a first class relic of Saint Augustine that uh, I wore in my tuxedo when when my wife and I got married, and yeah. so that's he continues to be uh, important to me and and uh, accompany me throughout my life. Right, and this. I've enjoyed this interview very much, uh, and uh, I would invite you, uh, because there's so much more to cover uh, with, uh, with you, I think I would invite you back for a, further, a future show if you would be available. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, and I would be remiss in not, me- uh, not mentioning uh, that uh, Deal Hudson played a big role in your life because you married uh, his assistant, Zoe Romanowski, correct? Right, well, he was, she was the uh, director of development. Okay. But, uh, you, yes, she was there at Crisis. Okay. Now, I, I have to say, though, uh, to, to give full credit, Pat Madrid, uh, the editor of Envoy Magazine, introduced us. Okay. So I, I have to give him the, the nod. I do remember uh, when Deal used to have the uh, television show on EWTN. I remember seeing D- uh, Zoe appear periodically. That's on, right. On yes, that. whenever he needed to be interviewed, she would interview she him would because interview she can him. handle him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she can get him to stop talking. Yeah. And uh, what's the website, uh, Brian, that you're working The website on? is www.insidecatholic.com. Okay. That's all one word, insidecatholic.com. Yeah, well, thank you, Brian, very much. This has been a very interesting interview. I've enjoyed well, thank it. Thank you, Joe. And thank you so much. And I'll be talking to you shortly. Great. Thank you. Thank you for being with us for today's Extraordinary Catholic. We hope you will find the program inspirational and informative, and truly hope you can join us again. I'm John Delacott.